Holy God, by your spirit, enlighten us, illumine us, inspire us, not for our sakes, but for the sake of Jesus Christ in whom we live. Amen. The first reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, um, reading from the Common English Bible. After these events, the Lord's word came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your protector. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you possibly give me since I still have no children? The head of my household is Eleazar, a man from Damascus. He continued, since you haven't given me any children, the head of my household will be my heir. The Lord's word came immediately to him. This man will not be your heir. Your heir will definitely be your very own child. Then he brought Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if you think you can count them. He continued, This is how many children you will have. Abram trusted the Lord, and the Lord recognized Abram's high moral character. Holy wisdom, holy word.
Our gospel reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 12, and we do have a little bit of overlap with last week's. That's because I extended last week's reading, because whenever Jesus is talking, I just have a hard time. It's all connected to itself, and so uh, we begin with, with two verses that we heard last week and then continue on through verse 40. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there, and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps lit. Be like people waiting for their master to come home from a wedding celebration who can immediately open the door for him when he arrives and knocks on the door. Happy are those servants whom the master finds waiting up when he arrives. I assure you that when he arrives, he will dress himself to serve, seat them at the table as honored guests, and wait on them. Happy are those whom he finds alert even when he comes at midnight or just before dawn. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, because the human one is coming at a time when you don't expect him. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. God, our thief, you steal from us our dead, complacent hearts and kindle a new flame. Take from our hands the burden of worthless things and make them ready to receive a greater gift, the love of a servant king. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Amen. There are more than a hundred times that the Bible tells us, don't be afraid. And every time I hear it, I push back a little bit inside. Because if you're feeling afraid, being told don't be afraid isn't all that helpful. As if I'm sitting here afraid and the the only reason I'm not afraid is because someone didn't give me the helpful suggestion. Hey, have you ever thought about not being afraid? Reminds me of this old Bob Newhart sketch that some of you might remember where he's playing a therapist and client comes into his office and he explains, I want to explain our billing to you first and foremost, which is that I charge $5 for the first five minutes. But I can assure you that our session together won't be any longer than that. And I don't make any change. And the client says, okay. And so she proceeds to tell him about a uh, fear that she has of being buried alive. And Newhart says, well, has this happened to you? Has someone in your life tried to bury you alive? She said, no, but when I start thinking about it, I, I can't stop thinking about it. And so Newhart says, well, I want to say something very important to you. Two words that will change your life. I want you to remember these words and integrate them into your life from here on out. Are you ready for the two words? I'm asking you, are you ready for the two words? Okay, here they are. Stop it! 
Stop it. S-T-O-P-I-T. Why would you want to be afraid of being buried alive? That sounds like a horrible way to live. And the woman, of course, is not helped by this piece of advice from her therapist. See, for some reason, uh, being told don't be afraid isn't the most helpful way to stop being afraid. So what does calm our fears? Well, Jesus gives us a series of images that if we sit with them, they will reform and settle our imagination. God wants to open our imagination the way God did for Abram, to get outside of the tent of our fears and see the wondrous stars above. See, left to itself, our imagination fosters fear. At least mine does. I don't consider myself a particularly fearful person, but on a given week, I'll just give you a little little sneak peek into how my fears might uh, go on a certain week. I, I fear, despite uh, all the, the things I tell you otherwise, that maybe there really isn't enough. Yeah, I fear that one. Um, I fear that our country is so divided that I, I don't see a way to repair. I fear that um, anti-democratic authoritarianism is on the rise all over the globe. Uh, I fear uh, gun violence in private and public spaces. I fear the results of climate change in the next 10, 20, 100 years. Uh, I fear that uh, early onset Alzheimer's will come for me the way it came for my mother. Shall I go on? There's my short list. wonder if you have yours. See, fear is a part of my life, and it's a part of your life too. And the truth is, it's not all bad. Fear at its best helps keep us alive. But when it is out of control, it steals life from us. And that's what God wants to remedy. And so to soothe our fears, Jesus invites us to see ourselves with that familiar image as being part of God's flock. Don't be afraid, little flock because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Do you know the most important word in that sentence? It's delight. Jesus says that God delights in giving us the kingdom. Well, you might think, okay, that's nice. What does it mean for God to give us the kingdom? The kingdom is life as it's meant to be. We, we pray it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Oh, what does that mean, Jesus? Oh, you want to know what it means? It means God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means for God to give us the kingdom, that God delights in giving us life as it's meant to be, where our basic needs are met, where we have relationships of love and support, where we can live free from violence in our homes, in our community, where we're able to use our gifts in meaningful life-giving work. That's what God wants for all of us. In fact, God delights in giving that to us, which means that God delights in our delight because nothing is more delightful than when life works as it should. See, with all of our talk about sin and righteousness, I think the church has failed to communicate that God is more concerned with your delight than you are. You see, for too often, we understand God as this distant, 
angry buzzkill rather than the one who promises that we will flourish as the stars in the sky. See, if we think that God is always angry with us, then we'll end up thinking that pleasure is somehow wrong or unspiritual. But Jesus invites us to understand God's way as the most delightful way to live. God doesn't want us to be generous in order to make us unhappy, but in order that we might find delight. See, greed doesn't actually make us happy, but generosity does. Last week I mentioned to you Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money. I'm going to mention it again. In that book, she compares money to water. See, water uh, is healthy and refreshing when it is moving and flowing, but it becomes toxic and putrid when it sits stagnant. And so letting money come into our lives and move through our lives as we share with those in need is simply the most delightful way to live. Does that mean that we shouldn't save or try to be responsible? Of course not. You know, we have real economic needs that we need to be concerned about. That's all fair and good. But God's will is that we might know the delight of giving. Don't be afraid, little flock, for God delights in giving you the kingdom, which means that you are free to live generously. That's the, that's the first image Jesus gives us. The second that Jesus gives to calm our fears is of servants who are ready and waiting for their master to come home. Now, this is an image that we probably have a more difficult time relating to. Or we don't normally think of domestic service as a job of great pleasure and delight. Making it more complex and difficult, some translations use that word servant, they translate it slave, which is problematic to say the least. So is Jesus inviting us to see ourselves as God's slaves? Yikes. Before we shut down, let's notice that his point is that we are to be ready and alert for the master to show up. And Jesus says the master will return from a wedding feast and then will proceed to serve the servants. When he arrives, Jesus said he will dress himself to serve, seat them at the table as honored guests and wait on them. In other words, if God is our master, then God is unlike any master that we have ever known. God is the master who delights in serving the servants. And so as we gather at God's big table, the shocking reveal at mealtime is that God isn't sitting at the head of the table, but God is waiting on us, serving our needs. And so being alert for God then, it's not about working ourselves to the bone and staying up all night, but instead it's about looking for those places in our world where hierarchies are turned on their head, where the powerful use their power to share blessings and allow them to flow like fresh water. For you Downton Abbey fans out there, we're to look for those times when Lord Grantham goes downstairs and puts on an apron and decides to serve Mrs. Patmore and Daisy and Thomas and the whole crew. Jesus says when you see that, then you know that God is at work. 
In other words, our fears are calmed when we see power being used to bless those who are in need. And so practically speaking, that means being in spaces where justice is done. Whether that's at catch court here that so many of you serve at, where women in our city who are trapped in a cycle of addiction and solicitation are not punished, but instead treated with dignity, or the judge treats them as an equal and blesses their lives, giving them a fresh chance to flourish. You see it in our food pantry, SOS Food Pantry, here at Covenant, where so many of you use your retirement years to bring food to people who are in need. You see it at HM3 when you are blessed to create and serve and share a meal and then worship with some of Columbus's poorest residents. And all of this happens every month here at Covenant. And that's what you support when you give financially to this church. And if you want to be a part of any of these events, these, these glimpses where we get to see hierarchies turned upside down, where we get to see justice served, well, we can make that happen. Just let us know. We do it every month. Love to have you join us. And when you participate in this kind of work, of course, what you find is that you are the one who is blessed. And for just a few short hours... Your fears over all of the ways that our world is just a mess, those fears subside because you get to see that mess put back together again, if only for a short while. The last image Jesus gives us to soothe our fears is the most mysterious, shocking, and perhaps the most helpful. He says, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have allowed his home to be broken into. And you also must be ready because the human one is coming at a time you don't expect him. The human one. This is, this is Jesus' most favored way of referring to himself in the Gospels. Other translations say the Son of Man, but I love the human one because it communicates to us loud and clear that Jesus is truly and fully human. In fact, he is the archetype of humanity. And he isn't asking of us anything other than to be truly and fully human as well. And so following his way, this is the most human way to live. And in this strange analogy that he makes, Jesus as the human one compares himself as a thief who's going to break into your home at night when you least expect. Bet in all your images of Jesus, him as a cat burglar coming to jack your stuff probably isn't one that you're used to thinking about, but apparently that's who he is. And so what kinds of things do you think Jesus wants to steal from you? What kinds of things do you want him to steal from you? Well, how about your fear? See, being told to not be afraid doesn't make us less fearful. But when my imagination is transformed, when I begin to understand God as the one who delights in me, who do, actually wants to serve me, as one in whose presence I am truly and fully safe, then in time, what happens is that without even noticing it, I come to find myself maybe just, just a, a smidge less fearful. The holy thief comes when we aren't watching, 
and steals our anxiety and our greed, our imposter syndrome, all those deep fears that we carry within us that manifest as arrogance and self-hatred. Jesus is coming to steal it all. And when he takes the stuff we don't need, what remains are children of God who live in the trust of divine love. And so we pray, come holy thief, steal from us our fear that we might live as children of God. Amen.